welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. If you're listening to this episode when it's released, we're currently in the middle of American Heart Health Month. So for today's episode, we're looking at a different aspect of heart health, heartbreak. Today, we're lucky to have journalist and author Florence Williams back to talk to us all about heartbreak, a little different from our last discussion on the benefits of nature, but just as fascinating. Florence is a journalist, author, and podcaster whose work focuses on the environment, health, and science. She's a contributing editor at Outside Magazine and a freelance writer for the New York Times, National Geographic, the New York Review of Books, Slate, Mother Jones, and numerous other publications. And she just released her latest book, Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey. Today's episode will leave you with the knowledge of how heartbreak impacts our health and the benefits of heartbreak. Yes, you heard me right, the benefits and what we can do to feel better and heal a broken heart. But it's bigger than that. This episode is helpful for anyone who's gone through loneliness, loss, heartbreak, or death. It's such a fascinating episode because we hear Florence's personal experience with the research and the science behind heartbreak. All right, Florence, welcome. We are so lucky to have you back. Um, Before we were talking about nature, and now we're going to be talking a little bit about heartbreak, which we were just saying how We often, you know, we love to talk about love and falling in love and our favorite rom-com and right. Cause it lifts us up, but we really don't talk about the other side of it and heartbreak, which many of us go through. I think everyone has probably gone through heartbreak at some point in their lives. And I'm so curious to hear what you found scientifically and on your personal journey on how we can hopefully make that a little bit easier on ourselves. Well, thanks for your interest, Kate. And thanks so much for having me back on your show. Um, So I first just want to start with your journey before we kind of dive into the science of it, or obviously mix that in where needed. What led you to writing this book and starting to research heartbreak? Well, I had never experienced heartbreak before, even though it's a universally uh, sort of acknowledged uh, experience. For some reason, uh, I just I had been spared it. And I think it's because I met the man who would be my husband when I was 18. And we were together for over two decades, a 25-year marriage. Um, and when it ended, it wasn't my choice to end it. It was his. And so it really left me stunned and shocked and devastated. Uh, I couldn't believe actually how much it hurt. And the science journalist in me was like, well, why? (laughs) Why are we so operatically sad when this happens? You know, is there an evolutionary reason for this? What's going on? And how can I please feel better? So I think as a journalist, you know, the way I I deal with, (laughs) with questions, you know, in my life is to write about them. So even though this was a more personal journey, um, I I eventually realized that there probably was a book here because what I learned really surprised me and seemed like it hadn't been really talked about that much. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I haven't seen it anywhere. I feel like if anything, when we talk about heartbreak and you're looking how to feel better, your best options when you Google it are grab some ice cream, (laughs) 
cry it out. Like there's no real science behind any of it. So I'm really interested to hear what you found. And I know there's a lot of connections on how heartbreak affects our health. So I'd love to start there with some of your findings that most surprised you in the connection of heartbreak and our health. Yeah. I mean, I had always thought that heartbreak was something that happened kind of in your psyche. You know, it made you really sad, made you maybe depressed, um, you know, um, that, that it was just in our heads, basically. Of course, there's the metaphor of the heart, but I thought of it as a metaphor. <laughs> but, but what really surprised me was how much it hurt in my body and how much my chest hurt and my stomach hurt. And then my pancreas started, you know, misbehaving in a pretty serious way. Um, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I lost all this weight that I didn't want to lose. Um, all of these things are actually pretty common, but again, not necessarily acknowledged or talked about, especially the health benefits and how our immune systems change. And so that's what really inspired me to talk to the neuroscientists, talk to the geneticists, talk to the immunologists, um, not just the psychologists, but but actually like look at what was happening on a molecular and cellular level inside my body. What did you find? I'm curious with your immune health and immune cells. Yeah. So, um, one of the first people I talked to was, uh, someone who's called a neuroimmunologist, uh, a man named Stephen Cole at UCLA. And he has spent his career actually looking at the white blood cells of people who identify as being lonely. Because we've known for a long time that people who identify as lonely have much worse health outcomes. They actually die younger. Um, they're more likely to die from cancer. They're more likely to suffer from heart disease. They're even more likely to suffer from dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, and so he has tried to find out why, like what is actually going on in their immune systems that's changing the way their bodies fight these diseases. So when I talked to him about my heartbreak and my feelings of loneliness and grief, he invited me to come into his lab and we could analyze my blood. So cool. <laughs> yes. And then also at various time points, um, you know, after the split to see if my, my blood cells were looking better. And uh, this is not something that, you know, your average person gets to do. Um, these studies are still really, um, they're really rare. It's not like you can go ask your doctor, you know, to look at your white blood cells for, for, for loneliness. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, because I'm a science journalist who does these sorts of things, I sometimes experiment on myself or, you know, use my body as a proxy, you know, to talk about um, what this might be like for other people. Um, that's the way we did it. And it was really, really fascinating and also a little bit freaky. Did you find, Florence, did your immune cells improve like a yeah, few they, months later? Oh, not in a few months. Or a few years. <laughs> it, it takes, what, one thing I learned was that it actually takes a pretty long time to recover yeah. um, from a big emotional blow, uh, an emotional trauma, heartbreak, um, you know, a, a bereavement. These are not quick fixes. So, yeah, I mean, the first blood draw we did was maybe, um, you know, five or six months after the split. And he told me that my, my blood did in fact look like the blood of a lonely person. And what that meant sort of more specifically is that my leukocytes or my white blood cells were, um, producing a signature of inflammation. And at the same time, um, they were down regulating 
um, the ways that these white blood cells fight viruses. Uh, and it, so it, it turns out that, you know, inflammation is kind of an adaptive response if you're feeling suddenly alone out in the jungle. Yeah. Because, because we're humans, you know, we were hyper social animals. We evolved in groups. There's safety in numbers, which is why we've always lived in clan groups. Um, and when you get sort of rejected and you feel like you've been cast out, which is what happens when you get dumped in a heartbreak. Um, your body actually responds as though you've been left alone, you know, on the veldt, like you're about to be attacked by a predator, uh, or you're about to face other, some sort of other wounding injury, physically wounding injury. So, so you know, your 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 blood cells are trying to help you out. They're trying to produce more inflammation, um, and which is a helpful thing if you're yeah. going to be like stumbling through the jungle by yourself, you know, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> but if you're feeling lonely for months and months and months and months and months, then your body's just going to be producing this chronic inflammation, which we know is a devastating recipe for all kinds of major health problems from diabetes, which is actually ultimately what I did get diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, type one diabetes, um, but also things like dementia, cardiovascular disease, um, metabolic diseases, you know, it's a whole host of horrors if you cannot recover from your heartbreak. So it really inspired me to sort of, you know, figure this out and get better. So and then, you, and then, you yeah. mean, you asked if they changed over time and fortunately, mm -hmm. you know, eventually after I tried all these millions of things, <laughs> they did. <laughs> but do they, do they suspect Florence? I'm, I'm shocked by this type one diabetes diagnosis. Are, are they suspecting that is for a from all of this and from your heartbreak? So it's really impossible to say. I know that's, yeah. That's you know, like I got diabetes and here's exactly why it's because I got divorced. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously we can't say that it's a really complicated disease, but what we do know is that um, autoimmune diseases like type one diabetes yeah. can be triggered by a really stressful event. Because it's very level. late. Typically with type one, you're diagnosed, you know, younger anywhere from like nine years old, you know, it's just, it's, it's a much later to be diagnosed with it, but I'm so curious, but it is, it's almost like, and it's with some other diseases too, where certain things, if, you know, if you will awaken the beast. That's right. Certain things awaken the beast. And we also know by looking specifically at my blood cells yeah. that they were producing more markers of inflammation, uh, which is also known to be linked to, to, to this type one diabetes and other, you know, autoimmune diseases. Did you so, find like with yeah. sleep and your digestion changing, did you find that was most likely a cause of the inflammation or through your research were, you know, or like even just the pain you were feeling in your chest, um, was that a cause of something else through the heartbreak? So, um, it looks like all of these things are sort of related to feeling like you're in a fight or flight state. Right. So yeah. again, you, your body is preparing for a fight. It's preparing for an attack. So it's going to release more inflammation um, to prepare for that. It can't do everything. So it's going to stop producing the cells that will help you fight things like viruses. Um, you know, there are these massive doses of norepinephrine sort of coursing through your body. That's what's keeping you up at night. Um, that's what's making your digestion really out of whack because you're not prioritizing digestion. You're prioritizing this, um, you know, imminent sense of threat that your body thinks it's going under 
because it's not making a distinction between your psychological feelings of rejection and loneliness and the physical state of actually being out alone in the jungle. Yeah. And it's so similar. Um, when you said bereavement earlier, that's all I kept thinking about too, was when someone loses a loved one, it's a lot of the same signs and symptoms as heartbreak, especially to, you know, if it's your spouse or, um, but even if it's just, you know, a close relative or a friend, even it sounds like it's a lot of the same symptoms that most people experience. Yeah. I mean, grief does often make us feel a little bit lonelier. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can, in the, in the case of a loss of a, of a primary partner, a primary attachment partner, it can also make us kind of freaked out about, you know, what does life look like now going forward? What does life look like without this person? Uh, and that's really similar to heartbreak, but I think with heartbreak, there are these kind of other layers on top of it as well, because you feel rejected. Yeah. And that's a whole other psychological field (laughs) because as humans, as, as these social mammals, we're very, very sensitive to any kind of social rejection and to changes in our social status and to feelings of shame, feelings of guilt, um, you know, feelings of um, not belonging. Like we feel those those things really, really intensely as humans, and they do impact our health, unfortunately. So, what can we do about it? <laughs> How can we feel better? <laughs> How did you start to feel better? What are some of the things? Because I know you said you tried an array of things to feel better and get those immune cells healthy again. And what are some of your suggestions for people going through it? So I ended up sort of lumping the cure, if you will, or the path toward cure uh, into kind of three categories. Um, and those are um, calm, connection, and then purpose or meaning. And so, I, I mean, I can talk sort of in depth about all those three things, but just to start with the first one, you know, if your body is in fight or flight, you're not gonna be able to really heal. So the first thing you have to do is figure out how to calm down, how to be in a state where you feel safe or safer, um, how you can start to sleep a little bit, (laughs) Um, you know, how to digest your food better. And then you can sort of be open to like the next phases of recovery. Uh, So for me, with with the calm phase, um, I knew as someone who had written this book, The Nature Fix, you know, that being outside did help me feel better. Uh, and so I, I was very eager to apply the lessons I learned in that book um, to my heartbreak. So I, you know, just tried to be outside as much as I could. For me, also movement. And for a lot of us, movement is, um, it can be very calming. There are sort of ways to try to get yourself out of fight or flight and movement is one of them. Um, hearing the bird song, you know, looking at the sunset. So on that note, Pretty early on, I spoke to a a fascinating psychologist at the University of Utah uh, who told me, her name is Paula Williams. She told me, you know, we know that the statistics are really bad in terms of health for people who are divorced, you know, earlier death, greater risk of heart disease, greater risk of diabetes, greater risk of blah, blah, blah. She said, but we also know that some people are more resilient than others. 
And I said, please tell me <laughs> how to be one of those people. How can I be more resilient and come out of this? Okay. Um, and she said, what, what, what they found in their lab is that people who are able to really cultivate awe, to really appreciate beauty, are the ones who seem to come out of sort of life's tragedies a little bit more easily. And I had never heard that before. I had never heard of, you know, beauty as an antidote to heartbreak. So I thought that was fascinating. And I thought, well, I know where to find beauty. You know, I can find it outside. Yeah. I'm going to do that every chance I get. I mean, for other people, you know, it might be something else. It might be through music or it might be through, you know, architecture or, you know, or through art. Um, but that's, that's where I started on, on that phase of it. Well, and it's nice <clears throat> that you were able to find pair, like they both came back to nature, right? You knew your calm was getting outside and then your beauty was also nature, right? So you were in a sense getting to do both with just getting some fresh air too. Um, yeah. What about with connection? Is that kind of that next phase? Like once you finally feel calm, then being open to connect more? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's where you really rely on your friends mm -hmm. and you lean on your family. And, you know, some of your friends are going to be there and some of them aren't. Um, but even, even beyond the close friendships, you know, and by the way, I will just say that it was very, very powerful for me to kind of be this vulnerable with my friends. I mean, I wasn't really used to that. I was used to sort of going through the world in this very, you know, pretty competent, confident way. Um, so being that vulnerable was amazing because you really learn who's there for you. And the friends who are there are the ones who are going to be like, we love you. You're, you know, you're awesome. Don't be, don't be, don't be convinced you're such a loser, <laughs> which is how you feel after you've been rejected by a primary partner. Um, you know, we love you. And just experiencing that was, was really powerful and beautiful for me. But, you know, there's, there's other kinds of connections too. Heartbreak feels like a very singular experience when you're going through it. You know, it does feel very lonely making. I mean, for me being divorced or going through a divorce in middle age, it's actually fairly rare these days. Um, overall, the, the marriage statistics are that 38% you know, I mean, I think we've all heard, oh, 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's actually not, not accurate anymore. It was true in like 1980, but now it's like about 38% of marriages end in, in divorce. And if you're college educated and you've been married for 20 years, your likelihood of divorce is actually 15%. It's really low right now. And so it's not surprising that I didn't have close friends who were going through this. And so it felt just kind of existentially lonely to be dealing with it. Um, so connecting with my friends was great, but I also felt like I needed to connect with other people who'd experienced heartbreak, other people who'd experienced emotional trauma, um, to learn what they had found. And so for the reporting in the book, I did, I did quite a bit of that. I mean, I spent time with various people who had gone through even, you know, more severe emotional traumas, I would say than, than mine, because I wanted to hear what made them resilient and what was helping them. And then, of course, there's this idea, too, in nature that you can connect to nature and you can connect to the universe and the cosmos. And that is fantastic for your mental health because you feel like your problems aren't the most important things in the world. 
you feel like you're part of something larger than yourself. We know that these kinds of feelings are really associated with positive mental health. I'm curious, is you were talking about a lot about being vulnerable and that's really what like opened the doorways with some of your friends and you got to see who are your true friends and not, is there a component to this though, with the connection piece of it that you have to be willing to really be truthful in that vulnerability, you know, because I've seen a, you know, and I have some people I know in my life where, you know, they've just experienced heartbreak and they're going through it, but I don't feel they're being honest with themselves about how they're really feeling. And you're miss to me, you miss some of that deep connection when you're still kind of on that surface level, which I know is hard for a lot of people, especially going through a divorce or the end of a you know relationship where they may be a little bit embarrassed that they got rejected. Did you find any of that in your research or even just in your personal experience? Well, I think it's an astute question because the research does seem to show that um, you know if we can kind of inhabit our vulnerability, then we actually learn who we really are in a way that we may not have sort of been so interested in or inspired to look at. And we are presenting, able to present ourselves in a more authentic way to other people such that they also want to present their authentic selves to us. And um, it's easy to have a lot of superficial friendships and relationships. And that's kind of in our culture, what we expect from people. We don't expect people to start sobbing, you know, in the middle of the work day. <laughs> like we are super uncomfortable with that. Um, we want people to pick themselves up and, and to, and to be competent and functional and to, and to get going. But it turns out <laughs> that when we're not honest with ourselves about our feelings, um, that's not good for our immune systems right? We're sort of um, living this double life. And I guess, you know, I, I feel like in heartbreak, it, it does tear us down to the studs in such a way that it, it, for me anyway, and I think for a lot of us, it becomes sort of impossible to just pretend everything's fine. And you have you're to gonna hit a breaking point, shape. right? You hit that you'll hit a breaking point at some point if you're doing that. Yeah. And, and maybe you're feeling feelings that you've never felt before, you know, mm-hmm. and you're feeling them to a depth you've never felt before. And that's super destabilizing. It's super scary at first, but then you realize you can also feel the highs in a way that maybe you hadn't had access to before. I mean, I, that's what I felt like I was able to suddenly feel like a sort of fully embodied human being with these deep sadness kind of lows, but also these tremendous highs. Um, the whole world in some ways felt more technicolor to me. And that was, that was surprising and, and beautiful. And, and by the end of it, I was like, or not, not the end, who knows where, where the end is, but, you know, partway through it, when I started sort of access some joy again, I was like, wow, feeling things is actually amazing. I, I don't want to go back to being sort of a numb person who just is really competent and gets things done all day. I actually want to feel like a human animal (laughs) because then I feel alive and it's both sometimes hard and also fantastic. And it's like you said, I mean, the connection goes both ways, just you opening up and being vulnerable. Maybe one of your friends that opens them up. Maybe they're having trouble in a relationship or, you know, some, some other part of their life. 
and you're able to help them. And I'm sure that helps too. And I know you said that last component was purpose, but it always feels good to make other people feel good too, and open that connection up. But I'm curious with purpose, what you found, how that can make us feel better after heartbreak. Yeah. So that was really interesting. The um, same scientist I worked with at UCLA, he has done all these studies where he's looked at people's white blood cells after they've tried various interventions, right? So you take a, a population who says they're lonely and you say, okay, why don't you try volunteering for a while? Or why don't you try meditating every day for a while? Or why don't you try taking hot baths, you know, or, you know, doing things that sort of make you happy listening to, I don't know what comedy or something. Um, And in those studies, what he's found is that the antidote to loneliness is not necessarily togetherness or amusement or happiness. You know, these things we do to sort of feel good um, don't actually change our immune cells so much. What he found that actually changes our immune cells the most to be healthier is what he calls purpose. So what he found in some of these studies is, um, for example, he would take um, a group of older women in LA and he, he gave them a volunteering task for them to work in the schools in LA. Uh, and some of them, after you know 10 months of doing this, they reported feeling happier than they did at the beginning of the study. And some of them reported not necessarily feeling happier, but feeling like their life had some meaning. And he really only saw these positive genetic changes in the women who reported the meaning, not necessarily the women who reported the happiness. So so he now says the antidote to loneliness is not togetherness. The antidote to loneliness is, is meaning and purpose. And I thought that was really fascinating. It made me really think about um, how to sort of, you know, turn this tragedy into something useful moving forward, how I could tell myself a story about um, how I was changed for the better and how perhaps I could help other people go through an experience like this as well. Like writing a book. That's great. Like writing a book. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm really curious. I know we were talking about how you almost see life in like this technicolor and you're like, I'm feeling feelings and I'm loving it. What were some of the other, which it, it sounds, you know, contradictory, but what were some of the other benefits of heartbreak? Well, I think one of the benefits of feeling feelings <laughs> is that you actually increase your capacity for love. So it's this kind of central irony of heartbreak that um, by experience the, experiencing the loss of love so deeply, you can actually open your heart to experience more love later on. And not just romantic love, but I mean, love for your friends, love for your planet, you know, love for the forest, you know, down the street. And what about love for yourself too? Yeah, Do you, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that one, you know, I mean, that's one of the common sort of pieces of advice I think you hear after heartbreak is that, oh, don't enter another relationship too early. First, you have to learn to love yourself and so on and so on. And I have to tell you, I mean, that <laughs> that kind of message didn't really appeal to me that much. Um, I did feel, for me, I, I felt the sort of drive 
to go um, seek a rebound, <laughs> you know, I, and, and because everyone tells you, oh, you know, don't, don't necessarily jump into something else too soon. But I was like, but where's the science in that? Like, is there yeah. science there? What does the science say about rebounding? And, and it turns out that there was no science about how necessarily it was bad for you. And in fact, there were some studies indicating that people who rebound after a heartbreak come away from it with more self-confidence and more self-esteem. They feel kind of more separated from the heartbreaking, um, you know, lover. And um, in some ways it can be distracting in a good way. I'm so really, I'm not, yeah. not recommending it for everyone, <laughs> but, but I, but I do think that there's not really science in the like, stay away from the cute boy messaging. No. And I think, I think most people after heartbreak in a way, sometimes the rebound can be the best therapy because it also gets your mind off it. And I'm I'm really curious how someone's cells would change, like having a rebound after and not because it does, even if it, let's say it's, you know, it's a couple week whirlwind romance, it at least gets you to that step of maybe not having those chest pains, right? Maybe not having yeah. those digestion issues, bringing down some of that inflammation and just maybe bringing back some of that calm, like you said, and connection, obviously. Exactly. I mean, that's how it works for me, but I think it depends. Let's be honest. It depends on the rebound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are relationships you could have that make you feel kind of more stressed out yes. or that may not go so well, or where you're with someone you don't really trust. And that's not going to help you feel calm. But if you, you know, if you can find someone who you do feel like you have a connection with and a trusting connection with, um, you're right. I mean, and there is a lot of science about how, you know, during, um, you know, physical kind of loving and romantic relationships, we are releasing more neurotransmitters like oxytocin and oxytocin has a direct counteracting effect on stress hormones. We know that just touch can also help reduce feelings of stress and those stress hormones. Um, we know that some of the happiness hormones can also flow, like serotonin, dopamine. These are hormones that might, or neurotransmitters that feel really good and might get us out of a fight or flight state for at least a little while. I noticed for me that um, you know I my blood sugars were better, you know, sort of um, after I had spent the night, you know, with um, with my boyfriend. Yeah. And, um, I, I think it was really calming. So, you know, sex is good for you. Yeah, no. And I'm sure it was because as our stress increases, like you said, perfect example, your blood sugars, as our stress increases, our blood sugars go up. So it is a direct correlation, but yeah, it's funny. I, I would say for most people, I know people would recommend (laughs) finding a rebound after, um, And now having some of the science in terms of knowing how your cells are affected by heartbreak, it, it could be a good option. (laughs) It could be a good option, but you know, there are a lot of options. (laughs) Yes. There's lots of options. I mean, I also, I engineered a whole bunch of other kinds of interventions and, and one is that I went into the wilderness on a 30 day trip, um, including 15 days of it solo, because I felt like I needed to learn how to be alone. You know, I, because I had been with the same person for 30 years, I had never lived alone as an adult. And I felt like I needed to kind of access, you know, some sense of self-reliance that I could take care of myself, 
that I could learn how to be alone and feel comfortable that way. Um, and then I could access some bravery since I was so kind of freaked out about the future and what my future looked like. Uh, for me, like doing something really active yeah. in the wilderness. What and what was that like, that Florence? I'm so curious. Well, it was kind of a mixed bag, actually. I mean, in a lot of ways, um, you know, being out in nature helped me access awe. It helped provide time and space for me to do a lot of reflection that I think was constructive. I learned how to meditate, you know, out there in the canyons of Utah, <laughs> where it was so quiet and there weren't any distractions. Um, and that was a real bonus. And for, for the half of the 30 days that I spent with friends and family, you know, they were, they were fun and relaxing and calming, but then a really interesting thing happened when I went into the solo trip, um, which is that, you know, again, I had this time and space for reflection, but I didn't necessarily feel super relaxed. And that's because, you know, I was alone in the wilderness and there were no roads, there was no phone. Um, I had to really be very alert, you know, and sort of vigilant about my surroundings. I couldn't screw up. Like I couldn't tie the boat in wrong. I couldn't light my campsite on fire. I couldn't step on a sharp twig or something um, because there was no one there to help or take care of me except me. And humans aren't, as I said, you know, that we don't really feel that safe when we're alone in the wilderness because there's so much safety in numbers. And so it didn't actually change when we did the after blood work after the wilderness trip. My immune markers weren't really that different, unfortunately, because I think my body, my nervous system was still kind of on alert when I was. Well, out yeah, there. and I'm and I'm glad it was because, like you said, you have to be alert in the wilderness. Yeah, you um, can't just zone out. No, and hope things go well. <laughs> I'm curious on day 14, how are you feeling? Like day 14 of the solo trip, were you like, mm. I'm ready? to be done with this or you know what I could go a couple more days oh my god I was so ready I was so ready to see I want to you know I missed my kids yeah um I missed my dear ones I missed my friends this so this weird thing happens when you're alone for days and days and days and days and that's if you start to kind of think negative thoughts about you know for example, I, I went into this sort of dark tunnel where I started to think about my role in the divorce or in the, in the breakup. Like what, what were the things I did wrong? <laughs> and there was no one there. I had no best friend to tell me, Florence, you're being an idiot. You know, actually, um, you know, all those things terrible that you did wrong. I mean, everyone does those or, or, it wasn't yeah. that bad, or, or your ex was like just as much of a loser as you were there was no sort of counter mediating force. And so I went down the sort of bunny hole and um, I really missed just the, you know, the, the conviviality and just social and emotional support of having other people around. So I think when you're alone like that, it's easier to go into a little bit of a dark place and there's no one to pull you out of it. So that's one of the other things I, I found. But would you say in the end, you still think it benefited you to do that? Cause you, now, you know, looking back, like I was able to do that, or do you think maybe it didn't help so much? I mean, I love the fact that I have done it and I think I did learn a lot about, yes, you know what? I can paddle my own boat. I can take care of myself. Like those were big wins. Yeah. And I think honestly, it kind of reassured my kids a little too. It impressed them. They were like, oh, mom's a badass. She's, <laughs> she's okay. And that's a great message for your, especially your daughters, right? To have. Yeah. Um, so I love that. 
And I, you know, I mean, it was a beautiful trip. I love being out there, but it, it, it wasn't, that wasn't like the thing that was going to actually turn my immune system around. Yeah, no. And that just makes you feel good. Well, Florence, I know we are short on time. Um, so I want to just have you again, tell people where they can go buy heartbreak, where they can connect with you, um, and learn more about some of your other books and your other findings. Oh, sure. Thanks for asking Kate. Um, you can find information about all my books on my website, which is just florencewilliams.com. Um, you can buy Heartbreak anywhere you buy books. And we've also made a really cool audiobook. So if you like listening to audiobooks, we've done an enhanced audiobook where we actually bring in a lot of the voices from my reporting for the book. So the scientists I talked to, my friends, voices of even my therapist, they're all in the audiobook. So oh, that's like really that, cool. Check it out. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, now you know, being a returning guest, that we like to end every episode with a little rapid fire QA. So just first thing that pops in your head. Um, and we have some new questions for you. So first one is what is your favorite way to move your body? Walking quickly. <laughs> Walking quickly. I love it. Love it. You know, the bilateral thing. Um, you're going kind of the the pace of a human body, the pace of your legs. It's I love it. Do it all the time. Gets that heart rate up, it's invigorating. No, I love that. What about um your favorite social activity? Oh, my favorite social activity is probably cooking with my kids. Oh, that's fun. What what's your favorite thing to cook with them? Well, they're, they're actually adults now and they've gotten to be pretty good at cooking. So, um, you know, my son and I have been watching some cooking classes online and we've been making this really good poached egg thing with sauteed portobello mushrooms. Mm. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? This actually leads into our final rapid fire question, but what's your go-to breakfast? My go-to breakfast is kind of odd. It's, um, it's sheep yogurt. <laughs> it's gotta be sheep yogurt. Love that. And, and then I actually make my own granola and it's totally paleo because I am diabetic. So it's got quinoa. It's got a ton of nuts. It has no added sugars. Um, and, uh, and then I sprinkle some blueberries on top and it's amazing. Yeah. No, I'm a big fan Florence of sheep's milk yogurt. I love, um, have you ever tried bellwether farms, sheep's milk yogurt? Yes. Yeah. They're, they're great. So I, I'm a big fan of sheep's milk call yogurt them up for a sponsorship. I, you know what? I have connected <laughs> with them before when we were still living in California cause they're right in Sonoma. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, they are great. Well, thank you again so much. And everyone go check out heartbreak. I honestly, I want to listen to the audiobook now. Cause I think that sounds great as well. Getting to hear all the different experts and thank you so much, Florence. Thank you, Kate. It's been great to be here. Appreciate it. If you're going through heartbreak or something similar, I want you to focus on the three things Florence teaches us that can make us feel better. Calm, connection, and purpose. Start with asking yourself, what habits make you feel calm? Maybe it's reading or like Florence, getting out in nature. Once you've identified what makes you calm, incorporate those habits into your daily routine. And once you find a consistent sense of calm, start to focus on true vulnerable connection and purpose. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. 
Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.